Journalism is the pursuit of knowledge and the truth. So how do we do our jobs when nobody, including our sources, has any way of knowing exactly what's going on? I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with Fedor Zarhin, a health reporter at the Oregonian who's led our coverage of the coronavirus crisis. We talked about how he's approached this ever-evolving story when there are still so many unanswered questions, how he seeks out the best information possible about the virus, how he handles conspiracy theories in his email box, and his conversations with the first Oregonian, Rebecca Fraser, who contracted the virus when she was on a cruise ship abroad. We also chatted about Fedor's investigative work on asbestos and Oregon's memory care facility failures and how those investigations guide how he approaches this story and why he's already thinking of the investigative stories to come if or when this health scare ends. Fedor, thank you so much for taking time during this really crazy news cycle. You've been working a lot. Um, I appreciate you carving out some time to talk. Oh, my pleasure. What have your work days been like since the first presumed case of coronavirus here in Oregon? So uh, even before the first presumed case, things were uh, kind of ramping up. We had our first Oregonian to get sick, uh, Rebecca Fraser. She was diagnosed February 6th, and that was when it first started to kind of hit home. But from a distance, uh, Rebecca's uh, in Tokyo right now. She actually just today was uh, yeah. found to be clear, free and clear. As of, of Thursday, almost a month later from yeah. when she was first diagnosed. Right. And so the first case, that was uh, that was Friday of last week. And actually, I had a bus ticket to Seattle uh, about uh, you know late in the evening. And uh, before I was going to go, boom, we got our first case. <laughs> Did cancel those plans. And, uh, and you know, that, the first weekend, it was absolutely nuts. You know, lots and lots of hours. Now it's uh, it's interesting because like we've got this thing happening right now in the state, um, and there's so much we don't know, and we don't know what's going to happen. We expect it will expand this this mm-hmm. you know, the number of cases, but at the same time, there's a bit of a holding pattern. Like we haven't had any new cases since Monday, even though every day there are more and more people who are being tested and whose uh, you know test results are coming back. Right. So we're trying to figure out what's going on uh the state level county level federal level each one of those entities is trying to figure out what's happening at their level uh and in the meanwhile we're bracing for potential for more cases yeah we're talking on on a thursday so by the time folks listen to this on monday things might have changed radically or they might be the same but you know when you're tracking something that's overseas and trying to get up to speed on something that isn't here yet like how do you do that um what are you are you talking to sources about that how do you get up to speed on something when it's not here and then how has it changed since it's come to uh the metro area so there is a lot to stay on top of and it's not really possible uh to stay on top of absolutely everything (laughs) from the science to the policy that changes every day you know uh my colleague brad schmidt has been really digging into testing policies uh, who gets tested and who doesn't? You get to a place where you start to understand it, and then boom, it changes. The federal government changes it, changes the who, who can actually get tested mm-hmm. in the United States for the coronavirus. So what you do, I mean, is you got to read the New York Times every day for sure because you know their coverage is much broader 
than ours. They have people on the ground in a lot of these countries that had it before we did. Yeah, I mean, they they have reporters in Wuhan, China, who right. presumably can't leave. Right. You weren't uh, booking a plane ticket or a train to, to Wuhan. It was uh, Seattle. Uh, I I was maybe going to pitch pitch that, but um, <laughs> I I was I you know thought about it and figured maybe that would not be uh, approved. So, uh, so you're leaning on these other outlets with wider reach, but also uh, who else do you turn to to try to get up to speed on this? Right. For the overall approach, that's, uh, you know, externally that that's part of it. But uh, the, the, the federal government is a good clearinghouse for that kind of information. Part of the issue here is that a lot of people uh, kind of end up deferring to authorities above them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, is that main uh, entity. So the state will say, hey, we're just doing what the feds say right. is the right thing uh, to do. So, uh, but but for, for more broad information, I mean, yeah, you do, you do talk to uh, people at Oregon Health and Science University, people who are experts in infectious diseases. One of the messages you keep hearing is like, A, there's a lot we don't know and B things are always changing. Like what yeah. is like, how long does the virus actually hang out on surfaces? Uh, is it best to use hand and sanitizer or uh, soap and water, mm-hmm. you know, which are most effective? Uh, how long are uh, incubation periods and such? So things are constantly in flux. So, you know, you, you do have to be always on top of, on top of such things. Though a lot of stuff has already been like the 14 day, Incubation period has been pretty uh, – people seem to be pretty confident that that's what it is. That's so. the right thing to do. Yeah, so you know, as journalists, I think a lot of us are drawn to this career because we get to do something new all the time and because we get to learn stuff uh, that we didn't know maybe and we get to do you know fast-paced, uh, lots of different jobs. But this is kind of a – it seems like a different animal watching the coverage. I mean what's it been like for you doing this particular story versus other – other issues you've reported on? I think what stands out about this story is that with other stories, usually, if you don't know something, you still know that somebody knows that thing that you want to know. Right. And in this case, there's things that nobody knows. And again, usually... You know, you you think, okay, there's somebody's doing something like the state, the feds, for a reason, and that reason is based on some facts or knowledge. Maybe the decisions are flawed, but there is a foundation for those decisions. And in this case, with how fast things are changing, it's clear that we're all in the same boat of not knowing really what's going on and how things are going to play out. It's not just... A person in Portland who's thinking, do I buy a mask? Right. Do I stock up on toilet paper? It's the federal government that's saying, Ugh. you know, that we're all makes asking the same questions at the same time, basically. Similar ones. Yeah. 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 And at, at that level, I mean, the, the the authorities, I mean, this is what they do. I mean, this is what they're supposed to be prepared for. Right. And this is what they do prepare for, uh, which is an outbreak. I mean, it's not like we discovered outbreaks it's not like the the world discovered outbreaks right. uh, a few months ago. This is something that does happen. You know, it's it's interesting. A while back, I was talking to Kent Frazier, the man on uh, Rebecca Frazier's husband. Yeah, the he husband didn't t- of the first Oregonian who was confirmed right overseas, though. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he's uh, he's from Forest Grove, and I was talking to him for a while, and I was like, okay, you know, Kent, 
if this was a movie, if your life, what was going on right now here, what would be a movie? What, what would you, what kind of, how would you name it? And he paused and he was like, hmm, the unknown. Like, you know, like that's what this whole thing is. I think for everybody, it's the unknown from, you know, top to yeah. bottom. That is the defining uh, characteristic. For us uh, here, just regular little people, uh, the unknown is a, that that line, that thin line, do you panic or do you not panic? That line is also very closely related to another one, which is, do I trust what the authorities are doing and saying or do I not trust what the authorities are doing and saying? And that is also related to, what can I do personally? Mm-hmm to protect myself and my loved ones and should i be terrified for myself and for my loved ones is this maybe the media blowing something up like president trump says because i mean let's be honest i mean there have been times when there are uh things racing through the news Mm -hmm. that maybe somehow for some incomprehensible reason are really big right before an election, okay, because politicians do sometimes use the media to instill some amount of fear. Like, this is a thing that happens, okay? I think we can be Historically, honest. Historically, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a just in the last decade. This has been decades or even, you know, centuries. Go back as long as there have been a, you know, a, a free press, right? Exactly. Yeah. People try to manipulate it. So that's why they're absolutely people I've talked to have have said, oh, you know, this is just the media blowing something up. You know, in this case, we've seen... Uh, it started far, far away from the United States, and you know now we've got three, one confirmed, two presumptive cases in our own backyard. Mm-hmm. You know, this is we're not in Wuhan, China, right? We have eleven deaths in the United States here as of as of Thursday. Yeah. So when you're having these conversations with uh, the Frasers, go behind the veil a little bit. How how are they doing? We're, I mean, it must have been a surreal experience for them. Uh, it was. Pretty interesting. They they seem to have. Oh, hi, Kent and Rebecca. If you're listening, <laughs> uh, they have uh, kind of d- different personalities, and their situations are also very different. Because for some incomprehensible reason, Rebecca tested positive, and Kent didn't. Um, so Kent had to stay on the ship, on the cruise ship, on the cruise ship, right? Yeah. The Diamond Princess, and she was taken to a hospital. Uh, he was there under quarantine, 14 days since the last time he was mm-hmm. near her. And she was in a hospital room, isolated, and it was really tough. She was there for almost a month. You know, there were... Do you get no, a sense of what she was doing? <laughs> talking to friends and family, you know, being on the internet, yeah. whatever we all do on the internet with Netflix and such, you know. Uh, Kent, I remember I was I was on the phone with Kent... Uh, and he got a knock on the door. He's like, oh, hold on a second. Goes to the door. So someone uh, slipped under the door. Uh, the Japan Times, I think it was, and also uh, figure sk- international figure skating, a magazine. <laughs> they, were, they were probably like, here, this guy's probably losing it a little bit, going a little stir yeah. crazy. We'll give, him, we'll give him international well, figure skating. He did not end up reading that magazine, he told me. So. Oh, well, that, that's a bummer. I guess we'll never know uh, what the landscape is for, for figure skating. But Fedora, we were talking a little bit about the unknown and, you know, we fill that vacuum that we don't know um, with uh, these days. I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy theories. There's a lot of disinformation out there. I mean, without giving fuel to those theories, I mean, what's your email box been like since you've started reporting on this issue? 
um, and how do you handle those um, responses if you are getting hit up, um, and and how can readers and listeners navigate disinformation that they're hearing on this? Do you have any thoughts on that? Of the concerns that people have, there are some questions that I can't answer, right? Like some people, I'll have different people respond to the same article to say, oh, you're making this out to be no big deal when really it's the end times. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who will write to say, stop being a propagandist trying to scare people in advance of you know the November 2020 election or something yeah. right yeah. and uh that's a question of you know whatever tone and already what how they feel and what they read into the story uh and there I I try to show and explain you know if there's something specific about the story that they feel is unfair you know I'll try to address that but the sometimes there are also calls and emails that are either explicitly, well, you know, explicitly, you know, racist, where where people um, essentially right, connect this in some way to you know, the the perceived nationalities, the people that they interact with, and uh, and that's been something that's been going on for a while. Apparently, I was talking to a health department official yesterday with Multnomah County. And early on, before there were any Oregon cases, uh, most of the calls she would field mm-hmm. uh, were people you know, with th- those kinds of concerns asking if they should avoid people based on their perceived nationality. Yeah, and those were the kinds of things that she was uh, responding to, and you know that that definitely has happened here as well. Do you engage with those types of inquiries, or do you kind of let it go? I know that's kind of. <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah, I, I remember a phone call where the person was incredibly calm, and it wasn't the kind of question that was. I mean, the person wasn't aggressive about it. wasn't saying like things that. Um, it was. It was like kind of a subtle way, a more subtle way of mm-hmm. of demonstrating the kind of potential fears and prejudices that the individual had, and I just. Ex- explain like that's not how it works you know that's that's just not how it works <laughs> right um well switching gears a little bit you've you've toured the multnomah county's emergency command center right that they've set up here for this uh this coronavirus scare um what, what was that like can you describe the center the center was a lot of people being busy or at least looking busy uh i think I'm guessing they're busy all of the time. Um, uh, there are a lot of details and components. I mean, there's on its own, bef- without an epidemic, it's a big bureaucracy that keeps things running. And with this epidemic, they got a bunch of people in one room. A lot of people are wearing vests, like yellow vests saying mm-hmm. public health. Uh, I went to the similar center for the state and the state epidemiologist, the main, the main person uh, in charge of the effort, the only one wearing a red vest. Hmm. So apparently there's no official hierarchy based on color <laughs> of vest, but it appears like yeah. you can kind of read between the lines. That it's like football. The guy with, yeah. yeah, you don't hit the the one in the, the red jersey, right, the quarterback. There we go. I yeah. know nothing about football, but <laughs> that right. makes perfect sense. Given what we've seen so far in about a week, 
What do you make of the public health response here in Oregon? Like, what questions do you have, and what do you make of the response that that we've seen so far? Uh, One thing we've found is that, at least as compared to uh, King County in Washington, there's so far a little less information that's being released specifically about individuals Mm -hmm. uh, who have been uh, diagnosed. Like, there we know age ranges, like if people are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and we know their condition. Here we know if two of the people were hospitalized, which, of course, that says something about their condition. They're not going to be with mild symptoms if they're hospitalized. And uh, I can understand, to some extent, some of the the, the rationale where, um, you know, the age range of one of Oregon's victims isn't really going to change the state's recommendations. Like, whether the person's in their 20s, 30s, 40s, Mm -hmm. 70s, or 80s, Still, we should wash our hands. You know, still this thing is probably coming. That shouldn't. That's not going to make a difference for us. Or if a person's in a hospital in severe condition versus they're on the mend, that's a sample of like one, right? Compared right. to the you know more than a hundred that we have in the United States. But at the same time, just Oregonians want to know about our own people and what's going on. And just human nature is such that uh, we, in our understanding of things, we give the most weight to the people who are closest to us. So, you know, if somebody I know personally gets sick mm-hmm. and they end up being severely sick, that's going to define my understanding of this disease more than a lot of the data to some extent. I mean, I have to consciously step back. I would have to consciously step back and see that differently. And that's just the way we work, I think. Yeah. And, and it's the- confirmation of its of its realness. Exactly. Yeah. W- which is why... I think I that's why I would like to know how people are doing here in Oregon and these are just these are our people this is us this is us Oregonians and we know, we want to know how they're doing and I mean there there's health uh there the health privacy reasons uh of course that the state is citing and uh, I don't know the ins and outs of the conversations the state has had and county health departments have had right. with the families you know I I really cannot speak to that um but if there was some way for us to know a little more, I think just Oregonians as uh, the big, the big, big four million person family of Oregonians <laughs> would like to know how our folks are doing. You know, we just we just care about them. You know, you, you talked about knowing um, more, and you also covered um, maybe the most recent public health crisis that kind of rose to national uh, prominence, the measles outbreak. Um, I mean, how is this different than that? Well, since then, we've had vaping. That was the, this that is was true. the most recent. Right. Uh, but Which was a public health crisis. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Okay, so with measles, I knew that neither I nor anyone I am close to mm-hmm. was going to get the measles because I know we're all vaccinated. Absolutely, there's there's a concern for babies can't get vaccinated until they're one years old. Uh, people, children who can't get vaccinated because of other health conditions, mm-hmm. and the extraordinary danger to the unvaccinated population. Uh, but as far as a public health crisis is concerned, we know that this is limited to a specific segment of the population. Doesn't make it any less serious. Right. There's still I mean, there is a threat to people's lives, right? And that's 
that, that's scary, right? Right. For me, for measles, you know, as a parent of my my younger one, she was less than a year. That was something that we took into account. Uh, maybe not going to Costco today. <laughs> Definitely not going to Clark County. Uh, maybe not going to OMSI, right? But you're right. It's a different, uh, completely different public health crisis. But anyways, uh, where this is, you know, it could really affect anyone. Exactly, right. So th- this is much broader. Plus, the other part here is that, uh, and this is just like with the vaping crisis, where we just don't know what's going on. So with vaping, it uh, was also limited to a certain population. Like if you don't vape, you're definitely going to be okay. But we also didn't know what was driving that. So the difference there, so so again, with with measles, it's a more limited population. Plus, we know what measles is, you know. I've had measles... United States, the world for a long time. Uh, so we have a vaccine against it. We have yeah. a vaccine. PSA: <laughs> There is a vaccine right. for the measles. There's no vaccine for this new coronavirus. And here, the scary thing is, I mean, like we've seen in Seattle, uh, there's the risk of it getting into nursing homes, assisted living facilities, where it could get uh, could kill people who are particularly vulnerable. It could infect people who are particularly vulnerable to severe complications, and that's really a very scary thing. And you know, again, like with with vaping, if you didn't vape, you're not at risk. With measles, if you got a vaccine, you weren't at risk of some of the more serious complications, or, or you're, of you're, getting sick, like right. of you know, it's at like ninety eight percent with right. the, with the measles. But with this, you controlled one of the factors at least. That you, there's a controllable factor there, right? It's because look, like the way we exist in this civilization, essentially, mm-hmm. is that we try to control all of the variables, right? That's what uh, that's what we do as just as a species. Gradually, year after year, we try to gather more and more variables that affect our lives that we can control, and we have become very confident that most of the variables. As a society, as a country, we do control, including, for example, preventing the measles, Mm -hmm. right? And we don't like it when we discover that there are things that we can't control and that those things kill us, right? And anything like that obviously scares the bejesus out of us. Like, let's say there's an earthquake. Can't prevent one. But hey, you know, we make earthquake-resistant buildings, right? We're trying to control the variables we can. And then you have something like this coronavirus outbreak, which is at a scale of uncontrolled variable that is very un, that is unknown for us because it's at a much larger scale and spread out over a much longer period of time than another type of disaster, say like an earthquake that just happens and then you pick up the rubble, right? You rebuild. With this, we don't know how long it's going to last, how many people it's going to affect, and we don't, uh, we're, we're not sure how to prevent it from spreading. And again, like, so aside from social, social isolation, right? Isolation. Yeah. Uh, Which is why we're talking, you know, even though it's months away, we're talking, what do we do with the Olympics in Tokyo? What do we do with these big March Madness NCAA basketball games? What do we do with the track and field trials in Eugene in June? So there's, there's a lot of questions and that uncertainty, uh, abounds. Well, let's take a break uh, and we'll talk a little bit more with Fedor about coronavirus and his other work uh, covering Oregon's healthcare system.
So Fedora, you've reported on issues surrounding health of people in Oregon for for real years now, more investigative work. You uh, it comes to mind some of your work on asbestos um, and demolitions of homes, um, some of your work on memory care facilities in Oregon. Um, can you describe some of that stuff a little bit? I know these are things that you worked on for, if not years, um, many, many months. But can you distill that a little bit into into an elevator pitch, I guess, or folks might have missed it? There are things that can kill you or your loved ones. And the people who can prevent those deaths aren't always doing the best job they can to do that. And these are the people you trust to prevent that. But, I mean, th- that's really the gist of it. I mean, So with like asbestos and home demolitions, uh, asbestos causes cancer. Usually, uh, if it does, then decades after some regular exposure. And in Portland, homes are supposed to be demolished only if the asbestos has first been removed. So... Just did a lot of data analysis to find that just a, a small fraction of the homes that had to have asbestos removed before demolition actually had it removed. Yeah. People are taking shortcuts during a housing boom and a hot real estate market, right, and jeopardizing Oregonians or Portlanders' health. Yeah, and and workers too, you know, who, who exactly. are the people who get exposed to that stuff uh, regularly. Then, so with with memory care, uh, the assisted living industry overall is booming and has been for a while, particularly in the field of memory care, uh, specialized facilities that cost a lot more for people with dementia. And they promise like, you know, good care for that specific uh, subset of the population. And at least in Oregon, um, there are twice as many uh, cases of substantiated abuse and neglect per uh, per bed in these uh, facilities with as regular assisted living facilities with just really quite horrific examples that were uh, quite awful to learn about and uh, to read about and talking to families uh, you know who uh, who tried to who who trusted who entrusted their loved ones care to people who maybe in some cases didn't quite um, deserve that. Uh, and also, I mean, really, it's not as much about people. It's like entire entities like uh, companies and facilities. Systems and, and regulators, right? I mean, yeah. given kind of that level of work and scrutiny that you gave uh, to both the state's healthcare system or just big healthcare providers in Oregon, like, how does that inform your reporting on this stuff uh, with the coronavirus? And does that give you confidence or pause or none of the above on, on kind of how we might be handling uh, this outbreak here? Well, part of my answer to that would be that I am confident that we will learn a lot about how the various entities have been responding to this crisis after the crisis and that the things we find out might not be pretty. So right now we are all responding to the crisis as it happens. And there's hundreds of decisions that 
various decision makers mm-hmm. are happening are making every day and we might not see the impact for some time but most likely there will be lots to dig into to find out how if you know if if whatever problems we might see down the road could have been prevented but you know the scale of our system that we have for for folks who need assistance um mm-hmm. be be they you know just our loved ones or in their 80s or 90s or mm-hmm. otherwise have health issues so when you see what's happening up in up in the Seattle area it it's scary with the nursing home up there oh yeah for when it comes to the elderly population yeah. um for sure for sure that's concerning but again there's this still this feeling of it still feels a little surreal. I mean, just like up until we had our first case in Oregon, I think everybody kind of sensed that I talked to. Like, yeah, I mean, it would make sense for it to come here. But until it acted, there was actually the first case, then it was like, oh, okay, whoa, got our first case. Right. And right now it feels the same way for you know, somebody actually dying in Oregon. It's like, ah, sure, it would make sense if this is spreading everywhere that there would be way more cases in Oregon and that somebody would yeah. die. But I'm not going to really believe it. Uh, unless it happens, and I don't want to be alarmist and say, "Well, of course it is." You know, we don't know anything that's going to for sure happen or not. And again, that's that thin line. I think that uh, people are, uh, you know, trying to figure out what side of it they're on. But at the end of the day, you can't really figure that out until f- events actually happen. If that makes any sense whatsoever, Andrew, we're all really putting our uh, time into this because this matters to Oregonians and it should so well thanks so much uh, I'll let you get back to it thank you Andrew thanks to my guest Fedor Zarhan for coming on the show and thank you for tuning into the latest episode of Beat Check if this is your first time listening every Monday you'll find a new episode where we take a deeper dive into stories and issues like this one You'll hear from colleagues like Fedor, Brad Schmidt, Molly Young, Max Bernstein, or just me. I cover transportation issues for the paper. Don't miss our bonus episode from earlier this week. I spoke to a public health specialist about the state's response so far. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others find the show. Or just tell a friend who cares about news in the state. We'd appreciate it. Yes, the Oregonian does podcasts. Until next time.